Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember, excuses are over. It's time to live. The thing that I ultimately remember about acting that was very powerful and personal to me is that it creates a cathartic effect. I had a cathartic effect when I would be watching my overall goal, I think, is that I wanted to create that same cathartic effect in somebody else. I have a different love for each of my kids. I love them all, like, massively, but I love them individually. No matter if they're, you know, the, the biological one or not, they all have a place in my heart. Uh, Haiti was the closest. To be also honest, it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Like, if we're going to do this, I want to find a couple kids that are in desperate need. Now, that was my narrative when I first started, and that's why we went to Haiti. Hey, everybody, this is Rob Murgatroyd. Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show is Casey Zeman. Casey Zeman, among many other things, is the creator of the Easy Webinar System, which is an amazing way for you to be in 10,000 places at once and automate your life. Use it if you don't use it. Look, here's the thing. Casey called me with my pants, uh, <laughs> called me with my pants down this time. I am, uh, for, for those people who listen to the show, you know that I am a stickler when it comes to research and I worked really, really hard on it. And I started asking him some questions about his opera singing and living in Brazil and living in Iceland. And he had to come clean. 20 years ago, he made up a fake bio to make himself look good. We all do stupid things, right? When we're young and he can't get it off the internet. So we had a good laugh about it. And I'm going to let this show speak for itself. This was a really interesting show. We talked about everything from what it's like to adopt children versus, you know, having your own biological children, and he has both, to this, uh, this crazy uh, story with his uh, IMDB um, that I came across on the internet, as well as struggles of what it's like to sort of like come out of school and say, I want to be an actor. No, I want to be a real estate person. No, I want to be in blah, 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 until you can kind of find your footing like he has now. This was a very honest and sincere conversation. And I really, really, I'm really starting to like this dude here. So listen to this episode. Let me know what you think. Casey, welcome to the show. Rob, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. You know what, man? I am super excited, mostly because you're going to be my first 
opera person. And we're going to get into that in a minute. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you all about my thoughts on opera um, more than you probably care to hear. but But I'm excited to jump into this. But I think that a good place to start is I'm going to dial you back to Michigan in the 80s. You loved 80s movies. You wanted to be an actor. What was it about acting that was appealing to you? Yeah, man. You know, when I was a kid, I I knew that I just wanted to have fun. I mean, that's what it was. And then when I started growing up and just doing more acting going into my teenage years and my college years, you know, it was like the thing that I ultimately remember about acting that was very powerful and personal to me is that it creates a cathartic effect. I had a cathartic effect when I would be watching some really amazing scene or really amazing moment in a movie. And that movie had some level of impact. My overall goal, I think, is that I wanted to create that same cathartic effect in somebody else. And so that's why I went into into acting in the first place, to to create a change, right, in somebody. Uh, some, Some piece of artistry that I did or, or something I put out there created that change in somebody else. They saw something, it, they, they came, went through uh, some cathartic moment themselves to where they were like, you know, wow, this is so high impact to me that it may, it, you know, it might be life-changing. So that was my goal uh, when I started out. But yeah, does that answer that question? It does, it does. And then around 12, you were off to Brazil to study opera. And you even found yourself in Iceland playing at the Iceland Symphony Orchestra. Can you sort of walk me through that time in your life and and maybe tell me like, what was it about opera that got you all excited and said, you know, this is, this is what, this is the path I'm going down. First off, I have to say that your diligence around Research is impeccable. I'm I'm really impressed <laughs> yeah. that you found stuff on IMDb uh, all about um, a lot of what my past bio reads. Yeah. But in 100% transparency, 100% transparency, I had uh, I had somebody write that about 20 years ago, and. I worked to try to change that bio for so many so many times with IMDb and they would not let me change it. All of that is completely false. That so, you didn't go to you didn't go to Brazil. No, I didn't go to Brazil. I didn't I didn't go to Iceland. It was it was a fabricated story that was written on my IMDb page. Um, by who? By I, I had a guy write it because I couldn't write my own bio, so I I made up what the obscure thing I wanted to have happen in my life, right? Um, and it, and it, it, I wanted it to align with why I was, you know, doing acting, and in my mind, justifying why I was doing acting, you know, in my uh, in my you know mid twenties and and things like that, and so, and just. I, I wanted to fabricate the life that I wanted to. I wish I had shown, I'd had, basically. Um, wow, that, that's crazy! It is crazy. It is crazy. Now there are a couple truths in in that uh, in that bio that I still to this to this day I have not been able to change and modify and tweak. And one of those is that I did go to school for opera. Um, I went to school at Western Michigan University where I studied opera, but I didn't 
want to be stuck in a box around opera. I loved opera, but at the same time, I loved theater. And so at the time, I realized like, yeah, it's it's hard to do both opera and theater. It, it didn't, it didn't, they, they weren't, they weren't aligning. Uh, so I went into music theater at that time, and then I, I became. Uh, somebody did music theater. Then I went to New York and did some... Well, first I went to Chicago, did some stage work in Chicago. And then I went to New York and did some stuff in New York. But the whole thing about... that, that I'm, I'm so... It's crazy that you found that. And it's crazy that you led with that. Because I'm like, no, man, that, that actually it, it did not happen at all. Yes, I've done opera in Chicago. And, uh, and I was... Uh, I hustled in New York... Uh, with music theater, and then you know did did movies in Chicago, uh, New York, and then moved to LA where I did some stuff in LA for stage work and also so musicals in in LA, but also commercial TV uh, and film. But no man, I've never lived in Iceland. Uh, I I never st- studied. Uh, uh, <laughs> In Brazil, it was a that was a bio that I can't get removed from IMDb because they when they when a bio is added, you it's like it's it's Fort Knox, man. You can't change it. So even bad credit comes off after seven years, right? I know, right? But friggin' IMDb, <laughs> what the fuck? They're not moving. That, they're not. They're not changing that out. So I mean, the credits they're, they're true, but like you know, I don't have a ton of credits there. But I did study opera and. You know, when I was a kid, I used to listen to Luciano Pavarotti all the time. When I was 17 years old and 16, 16, 15 to 17 years old, I was working at Macaroni Grill and I would be driving, you know, in Mac- I don't know if you know Macaroni Grill, but... Of course, yeah. So course. I was a singer at Macaroni Grill and a server when I was a kid. Every day I'd be driving there and I'd be listening to the three tenors and doing arias in my head. And so I... I, I there's room. I, I had this romantic notion of doing opera, and when I finally got into a school where I I, I did have a full ride in opera, right? So I had a scholarship. Mm-hmm. It was so they. It, I, I felt like I was in a box, like that. I had to sing a certain way, and I had to train a certain way, and so I just didn't like that. I've always had a problem with people telling me how I should do stuff, and so <laughs> I noticed that I quickly wasn't into that. I still loved singing and I still loved singing at that time. So I, I just pivoted to where I felt like I could express myself more. Yeah, this is really interesting. I, I had zero interest in opera in my life. You know, I've heard of Pavarotti and it was like, you know, you listen to it on TV and you're like, oh, that's cool. But for whatever the reason was, at one of my masterminds, I do these masterminds for you know, like overworked entrepreneurs and I take them around the world and we do cool shit all over the place. Love it. Um, we did one in... Uh, in, we do one domestic and two international. We did one in Boston and I had a, uh, an opera singer come in from the Metropolitan uh, Opera House in New York and she sang, we rented this restaurant out and she sang inside the Italian restaurant. I swear to God, within 15 seconds of her singing, the entire room had goosebumps and uncontrollable tears that were coming down our faces. Our mutual friends, Chris and Lori were there. Yep. And it was like... I've never felt moved, like viscerally moved where it was uncontrollable mm-hmm. than having that hit that was in me. And so I just got back from uh, living a few months in Italy and I was walking, I, I was doing another mastermind in Florence a couple of months ago and I was walking through one of the piazzas and there was a, there was an opera singer singing and this guy was just, it, it was, he was insane. 
And the name of my mastermind is called Work Hard, Play Hard. So I was like, is there any way that I can get you to do a surprise outside one of the fountains? So when they, you know, when the group comes out of the restaurant, that you know, you just start singing Ness and Dorma or something like that. But then you sing David Guetta's Work Hard, Play Hard in opera. And he's like, yeah, I'll do it. So he did it. And so now, now I feel like I'm an opera guy. You know, I really, really love it. Do you still love it the way you did or not so much? You know, I, I love it. I still do. I feel like uh, opera has lost its uh, luster ever since Pavarotti's death. You know, I, I, you know, as, as, as crazy of a life that he had and how corrupt his managers were, they made mm. opera a mainstream by bringing Pavarotti to the fold as a mega star, right? And since his death, I, I'm not seeing anyone who is, in terms of opera, no one has, no one is shining through right now, right? You know, you had, you know, stints of, of like crooners, Josh Grobanes types of folks, right? Which is totally cool, but you haven't seen anybody who's bridging opera and going mainstream in such mega ways that can sell out Madison Square Garden. You know what I mean? Bocelli, he's, you know, he's probably not going to fall into the Pavarotti category, yeah. but, but Bocelli is probably at the top of that yeah, list. Yeah, whom I love. I love him. Uh, and he's, he has, he is probably one of the most lyrical, you know? Did you see the Pavarotti documentary? I did. Oh, how good was that? Did you see it? Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was cool. It was like, that's what I'm, you know, it's really awesome to, to like, to know his story in that way, I do feel that, and I and I was reading reviews that that they didn't go deep enough with a lot of the backstory of, you know, like Pavarotti was painted in a, in such a uh, magnanimous way, right? But I think there's a lot of darker sides to the story that that we didn't really get from Ron Howard, and it would have been cool to see that and for us to make up our own minds around that. But he loved um, the ladies, that's for sure. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And there was we didn't dig into that as much, right? We're all flawed human beings for sure. I mean, yeah. it was uh, it was interesting. So, all right, so you graduate college, you you have uh, you, you definitely have some opera skills. You weren't weren't in Iceland, you weren't weren't in Brazil, but you have some opera skills, acting skills. And you find yourself, you know, getting these roles, but you're spending a lot of time sitting in the trailer. And realize that, like, you know, this is not all it's cracked up to be. This is not what I want. How did that affect you at that time in your life to make a decision to sort of move in, move out of that world and dip your toe in the world of real estate? So the reason I dipped my toe in the world of real estate is because I, as an actor, I was booking stuff, but not as constant as I wanted to. And to be honest with you, I just didn't want to be a broke actor. I didn't want to be the broke artist eating ramen all the time. I was getting older and I wanted to start a family and I wanted to find, you know, the love of my life and it was like I was just getting tired of not controlling feeling like I could control enough of my own destiny. And, you know, obviously as an actor, you know, you 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 do you you at that time anyway you know, you are held to the constraints of your agent sending you out. Or, you know, at least that's what I thought, right? And this yep. took me a lot of years to kind of get through and understand that, you know, the, we we can control our own destiny. We can control, you know, we, we put energy out there and, there, it, you know, ex expands and, 
contracts. And so we can make a lot more happen than we think, right? But I was in the confines, in my mind, I was still in the confines of I had to listen to what my manager or agent said, right? I had to do this, I had to do that. And so I just didn't want to do that anymore. I felt like I, I just didn't want to be in that confine. And I didn't want to be a broke actor. So I actually went into real estate because of money. I went in solely because I wanted to be able to, to finally you know, generate revenue and money. And at the same time, get something where I could still audition and still be an actor, right? So find a job that, that would allow me uh, the flexibility of still dipping my toes in acting, but at the same time, you know, actually make, you know, six figures. So yeah, man, it was, it's, it's been a whirlwind. Yeah, for sure. You know, if I did my research right, you know, after you got crushed in the recession, your wife, you know, said something to you along the lines of choose one thing and stick with it and become an expert at that. What was it about that statement that sort of shifted this next trajectory for you in your life? Yeah, so I was trying to do a lot of different things. And when she said that, um, but she, but that was also coupled by a friend of mine who uh, was a mutual friend who was actually doing this stuff online. And I, I was just learning about online marketing. I didn't have like a... I wasn't trying to go in and become like an acting coach online. I was starting from scratch trying to figure out how it was going to generate revenue and income. So she and my friend... Uh, at, and my friend's name is Chris Farrell. And, uh, and at the time... He was doing this this kind of stuff, and I was like, "What what would you suggest here?" Uh, and he was like, "You know, he was like, what what you want to do is find one expertise, be, get really good at it, and then and then just be good enough to where you can sell your knowledge, coach, consult, so that you can generate revenue." And so that's basically what I did. I I went into uh, I went into YouTube. I became a YouTube marketing expert. And at the time, there was like nobody doing that. Um, I was like one of two people. Me and a friend of mine, James Wedmore, were the only two like video marketing guys out there at the time. And uh, and we and I I went into loving YouTube. And so I learned all about YouTube. I, I just was eating, drinking, sleeping YouTube. I would I would, you know, learn about how to get on the first page of Google with YouTube and all sorts of stuff. And by immersing myself in that one thing, that one medium of marketing, I decided I was going to become a YouTube expert. And so as soon as I started learning about it, I started to book clients. I started getting clients uh, as a consulting, you know, consulting clients where I went out and I, I'd get a retainer with them and I'd show how to build leads through YouTube or get YouTube videos found on the first page of Google. And, uh, and that's basically how I jumped in. And that that was the first time I ever generated any money besides real estate is when I started to do consulting. And so I had like four clients, each one of them paying, you know, anywhere from 1500 to, to 2000 a month. And, uh, and that's how I started. I want to talk a little bit more about the marketing side and sort of the world that we're living in now. I recently listened to Gary Vee. He's a lot sometimes to hear. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of opinions, but it, sometimes he's, he's got some really good stuff to say. And one of the things he was saying is people should be producing 64 pieces of content. I'm not sure how he arrived at 64, but 64 pieces of content per day. Um, and, you know, has, basically is having a camera following him everywhere now. 
What's your thoughts on where we are today? Because you've been around and watched the, you know, this, this internet uh, change and marketing change. And, you know, now, you know, now everybody's telling you, you got to get on TikTok. That's the next thing, right? So, you know, what's your thoughts on producing content at scale? In terms of number one, do you think it's a good idea? Or number two, and number two, how do you think that affects you know people's lives these days who are you know have courses and they put those courses on your platform or they're trying to do webinars for those courses and they're trying to promote those courses? Like you know, where does this madness stop? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a a really great question. When before all this happened, right before all like the, the the content marketing strategy was so prevalent, you know, and I was doing content marketing, but I was doing it through YouTube. So I would create a YouTube video. Uh, that was basically how I was starting out, and uh, that video I would I would add it on a blog, and then that's basically how I was doing my content. You know, before there was a lot of the social media stuff, before Instagram, TikTok, you know, Pinterest, like. That's how I was doing it. That was one one strategy that I had. But you know, a, the probably one of the bigger strategies that I that I ever ever had was uh, affiliate marketing and partnerships and things like that. So these are these are like these are super fundamental, like fundamental pillars that aren't going to change or end. So nowadays, let's talk about nowadays with content. I, I think it's important that. You you look at the type of content you want to build and create that really can, is a centerpiece for the exact type of audience you want to attract. But what I tend to do is I start with the the top tier of what kind of content is the most engaged, and that's video, right? Actually, to be honest with you, sometimes I go with live video first, and what I I, I say is like you just you know um, you know recycle. You know, like like a caveman. You, I want you to just use all of your content. You know, uh, kind of like a caveman, where it's like you're using everything. So, you know, you have the video as that first piece. Transcribe the video that can become a blog. Uh, pull clips of that video that can go into Instagram, into Pinterest, into uh, you know, into TikTok. So you can basically recycle your your best content. Uh, over and over again, but the difficult thing about that is that it takes massive bandwidth. And if you don't have a team that's there to shoot that video, cut that stuff out, then you're going to be spending a lot of your time, your own personal energy and time focusing on that. And so until you have, in my opinion, a team to do that, you know, I don't think it's wise to go to every single platform. For me personally, I would rather choose one platform and just crush that platform. Create a video and put it into YouTube and just get really good at YouTube. You know, I don't necessarily think you need to do everything until you get to a point where you can hire somebody who can take your content and and, you know, restructure it, repurpose it into those other platforms. Um you know that, that fundamentally that's that's my belief is that you know for content marketing it's all well and good but choose choose where you want to create the most impact you know you had mentioned that you uh, you got two children uh, twins right from Haiti well, I have uh, they're not they're they're half brothers half uh, brothers okay. one is six one is five so and then we have a daughter named Dale yeah okay so 
what was it about Haiti in particular that made you want to go there to adopt versus, say, any other country? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, first off, adoption was never on my radar, right? Come on, I'm the guy that, that you know, created a fake IMDB. You think, you know, adoption is <laughs> going to be on my fucking radar? Anyway, but adoption was always on my wife's radar. And uh. it was, she, is she, I swear to God, she's the reason I'm, I strive to be good, a good person because of my she wife. She cleans you up, huh? She cleans me up. I was like in the, I'm a gray, I was a, historically a gray moral person until, uh, until my wife, which she, she changed my life around. So it was always on her radar. And she always says that it, it was her first choice to adopt, right? We didn't have fertility issues. It was that she had always wanted to adopt because so many kids uh, that needed homes and she had uh, adopted uh, kids in her family. So um, for me, was that the, the reason we, we did start the adoption process is because I was open to it. I opened my heart to the idea of it. But I had to create a certain narrative early on in my brain about it. So early on in my brain, my narrative was, oh, you know what? Well, if we're going to do this, and my wife wanted to go international because that was just her thing. She wanted to go international because she didn't want uh, the mom to, you know, uh, to be able to come back into a kid's life after a year after abandoning them, right? And in the US, sometimes that can happen, right? You can get caught up in a lot of court stuff and everything else. Mm -hmm. So we decided to adopt internationally. And uh, to, to be honest, the reason we thought Haiti was, uh, I'm, I live in LA, uh, Haiti was the closest. It, it was right off Miami, two hours. And to be also honest, it's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And to me, in my narrative that I needed, I, was, I said to myself, well, you know, I want to I wanna come in and, and save, save some kids who are, who are probably super desolate right? Who have absolutely nothing, like no food, no nothing, right? Like if we're going to do this, I want to, you know, I want to do this and I want to, I want to find a couple of kids that, that are in desperate need, you know, super desperate need. Now that was my narrative when I, when I first started and that's why we went to Haiti. But that narrative changed dramatically after going to Haiti, meeting my sons, Going back to Haiti 16, 17 times in a, in a two and a half year process, trying to get my kids home, learning Haitian Creole so I could communicate with them. And my perspective on life changed when I, when I started going to Haiti. And I'll tell you what, as much as I say that, you know, as much as a lot of, you know, of, of, of our friends or people, you would say, man, these kids, you, you gave these kids such a wonderful life. To me, these kids have given me a wonderful life. And that's, that's the narrative that, that I didn't start with. I didn't realize it until, until like I just started going and they've given me so much. They've given me so much around a change of perspective and how big my heart is. It's, it's changed. And it really is an incredible, incredible thing. But yeah, back, back in the day, it was a, a totally different narrative. Okay, a couple of questions, um, and I'm always I'm always careful around how I ask these questions, so I'm I'm not going to be careful with you. I'm just going to ask what's on my mind. Yeah, you did not have you and your wife did not have any biological fertility. There was no fertility issue, so if you wanted to, you could have had another child. Yeah, and we did. Yeah, and you did. Okay, but your wife wanted to 
for lack of a better word, do the right thing and make a significant difference in the world by adopting. And so you bought in sort of vis-a-vis her, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So I guess the question is, what what is the difference for you in the way you feel in your heart between the biological children or child's and the non-biological child? Is there any difference of how that feels? That's a good question. The answer in my heart is no. So uh, let me say to that question, it's no. But I have a different love for each of my kids. I love them all like massively, but I love them individually. No matter if they're, you know, the the biological one or not, they're all they all have a place in my heart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in different ways. So, you know, the the thing about when the boys came here first, you know, we the, all the challenges that we had in trying to get them here, you know, it took four and a half years, and like literally, it was so difficult to to finally get them to this country. You know, that, that's why we actually had a biological kid because we were like, is this even going to happen? This was taking so long. The Haitian, you know, the, the country was corrupt. It was just taking forever. So we, you know, we tried to have a baby. First go at it, we, we uh, conceived a child. And so, you know, my, my daughter was born here in LA while I was at, in Haiti at the Port-au-Prince airport, right? So, so we have really interesting stories and really deep ties with our children before they were ever here in this country. So I knew my sons before I knew my daughter, right? I knew my sons who were in Haiti before I knew her. And and I went through a lot in Haiti with them. You know, like things that bond you, right? Like I was changing their diapers. I would I would I was healing them because they were like they had like disease like their skin disease was really terrible, you know? So, and I was fighting to get them home. So I'd be sitting at the doorstep of, of so many different government buildings with these two kids just sleeping on me because they were so tired from not getting enough food, you know, or just not getting enough, uh, ex- uh, you know, exercise or anything. And so every child, I, all my three kids, I have a special bond with all of them because we've gone through something together, all of them. And it doesn't matter that one's biological. It doesn't matter that one, that, that, that two are, 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 are non-blood. They are, you know, they are, they are the, the richness that we've had together and the, the moments that we've had together solidify our love and our bonds. Yeah. One more question on the adopted children. And that is how much looking at sort of like things in retrospect, do you think DNA of the country plays a role? In other words, do you find them, you know, wanting to eat certain type of foods, do certain type of dancing, watch certain types of shows that are sort of specific to the part of the world that they're from versus just becoming, you know, Americanized like your biological kid and you you don't notice a difference? Yeah, that's a great question. So there are things we we definitely notice. As an example, when we got here, like the kids love rice and beans. And it's, you know, it's a staple of Haiti. 
you know, Jiri Pois is uh, chicken and rice and beans. So they love Jiri. Uh, it's their favorite, man. And that's that has still held true. Now they have it in different in different ways. Now we, you know, they love like Mexican food, like when we have rice and beans, you know, on tacos and stuff like that. But that that DNA held true. What what also held true is that you know Haiti has such a rich culture. Um, they're artists. They're sensitive. They're they're amazing humans. And we noticed that our our kids, our boys, are they they have wonderful imaginations. You know they they are they're full of life. And those are pieces that we see from Haiti. So like the way they dance, like my son uh, Clarence is like. I mean, I love how he dances. Like I dance the same way, but he dances with such like, you know, ferocious, like fun energy. And you he's won like three dance shows like like while he's been here. Because he that's what he like he had that. I'm possibly in his DNA. Some other thing is that he as a kid, he is from from my perspective, he you know, now after, you know, now he's in kindergarten and he just got this thing that says that he is, uh, you know, that, that he is a, like an advanced learner, um, meaning that he is the opportunity to skip a grade. And I, I'll tell you what, it's, when I look at that, he just consumes life. He like, you know, like breathes it in, you know, just digests it. Right. He mm-hmm. is the type of person that, you know, that, takes every opportunity to just be as good as as they can like you know they didn't play you know football or basketball or or floor hockey or or you know they played a little bit of you know soccer slash you know european football right but they but they didn't do it a lot here with every activity we see him push just consuming it right like he just goes in with no 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 boundaries. You know, you see other kids that are maybe tentative, right? But he never had th- that opportunity to even be tentative. You know, he when he was at in in Haiti, he had a fight to get food for his brother. Like he was the one that had to jump in front when all the kids were scrapping for food. He had to get in there, grab food, and get it for his to his brother. And that DNA that has that seems to have shifted into now because he. That's what he does with every activity. He loves learning, but he also loves to be at the front of the line. He loves to be kind of the best on the team. He's very competitive, right? And that's because that was something he had to do in the orphanage. He had to fight for food. He had to be that way. And so we do definitely see that in my in my older son. And you know, my middle son, he was the one that was the youngest. His brother was the one that talked for him and fought for him. And so my middle son, he has sort of a speech delay. And, you know, he came to this country with being very dependent, right? He would cry quickly. And now he's been, he's been getting more independent and independent from his brother. So what we sometimes see is, you know, Clarence, our older son, tries to be the parent. And we have to remind him, no, we're the parent. And then my, my middle son, Carl... You know, he's like, no, no, no. Like, he's like, Clarence, I can do this, you know? Because he's growing his independence while here. Mm. Because his his DNA in the in, in Haiti and what he grew up with was he was dependent upon his brother. His brother was the reason, you know, was, was saving his life, right? Was feeding him, right? And so that's changed a bit. That has changed. But, that, but that's, there's still remnants of it. And it may not ever go away, you know? 
because you know they they got here when they were uh, three and four. So yeah, fascinating. I'm so glad your wife cleans you up because that is a great freaking story. I think a lot of people are going to learn from that. And as we sort of um, wrap up here, I want to want to do a little rapid fire round with you for the for the close here. Um, answer as quickly or as slowly as you'd like. It's basically first thing that comes to mind. What would your friend say is one of your superpowers? This was hard. Um, my friends would say, my close friends would probably say that I'm a listener and I don't place judgment and that that I empathetic, you know, to their to whatever they might be going through. And so I, I'd say that's probably what my closest friends would say my super superpower would be is that I, I I listen. I'm genuinely caring if they're going through struggles, and I want to get them through to the other side. What's one thing you're afraid of right now? I think I get anxiety and, and fear around success uh, because I've had it in the past, and so I, if I see a bit of success, I start to. I fear that I'm going to sabotage my life. Mm. Interesting. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. I've seen that a lot. Mm. What is something that keeps you up at night? My desire to do creative projects that I may not be doing right now. You know, I'm currently writing a couple of screenplays and like those projects keep me up at night. And sometimes anxiety about where you know, where I'm going in the next five years or, you know, how old I am and, and things like that. Yep. What book have you reread or re-listened to if you're an audible guy the most? I would say The Four Agreements mm. by Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, yep. I just have to remind myself that there's a lot I have to reframe, you know? There's a lot of past agreements that I have to get rid of that, you know, that are that have come from my youth you know, that I have to restructure, reframe into the yeah. positive agreements. What's your guilty pleasure? I I love uh, singing into my phone and writing uh, songs in my phone. Uh, you know, like, mm. like just singing uh, into the memo or whatever, the recording, and just coming up with uh, crazy different uh, songs. Wow, that's interesting. That's the first time I've ever heard that one. That's really good. Okay, last question. What one question do you want to ask me? We'll change it up. Oh, I like that. What has been your most heroic moment in your life? Mm, Doesn't have to be mm. passive. God, I just had the picture of like picking up the Empire State Building. <sighs> most heroic. Okay. I was abused as a kid. My dad was an alcoholic and he beat me a lot bad, like emergency room bad. And uh, when I hit around 14, 15, somewhere in that stage, it took everything that I had to fight back. And, um, you know, to this day, he passed last year, but to this day, if I hear his voice on a video or something on, you know, on social media or, you know, whatever, um, I could still, you know, shudder from the sound of his voice. So he was just incredibly, he was an incredibly scary guy to me. So with that said, um, there was a moment where I defended myself and, I took back my power and, you know, basically said, if you ever hit me again, I'll kill you. And he never touched me again. We didn't speak for a couple of years after it. But what it 
did was it created a line for me in the sands. So, so to answer the question, that was the most heroic time of my life. But the the corollary to that is that I don't take abuse from anybody since that moment. Mm-hmm. Like if anybody is even inching towards that line, not physically anymore, obviously, right. but verbally where I can feel it. Um, so because I hardwired that heroic moment in my life that I just won't tolerate it. And I think that that heroic moment looking, you know, extrapolating that out to where I am now um, has actually served me well. So that's how I'd answer that one. I love that. Yeah, I think. Well, you know, my friend, we have covered fake IMDBs, adopting kids in Haiti and heroic moments. This did not go down the road I thought it was going to go, which is why I love it even more. Um, And I think people are really going to love you, uh, your level of honesty, kind of work you're doing. I'm a big fan of your product, Easy Webinar, but I'm an even bigger fan of you. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for people that are listening? I don't. I think that I, I hope if anybody has any questions about adoption or entrepreneurship or anything, just uh, shoot me a line at uh, you know at Casey Zeman on Instagram. That's all I can think of. Um, I love you know, it. If you want to share it. your heroic story with me, I'd love to hear it. I would love to hear it. That's yeah. Sincere. I love that. I I may even start asking that question. That's a great question to ask. I've never ever had. I've never heard anybody ask it, and I've never asked it. So that's a great question. So Casey, thank you so much for taking this time in your life um, with us. Rob, it was my pleasure. Thanks, everyone. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.